Hey guys, and welcome back to the Brown Girl White Coat Podcast. My name is Sai, like a sigh of relief. And if you don't already know me, if you haven't listened to any of the other pods, um, I am a second year medical student at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And I'm almost halfway done with my second year, and I am nearing almost a year of doing these podcast episodes and connecting with so many amazing people. I'm so excited for the guests that are going to be coming on. So excited for today's episode, which is with at Sully the Doc on Instagram, also known as Sully, who is an incoming medical student now. And we're going to be talking all about medical school interviewing. But before we get into that episode, let me remind you guys that we do have a podcast Instagram now, and that is the best place in addition to my personal Instagram to reach me, to ask questions, to connect with me on a personal level. If you need advice, you need someone to read your personal statement, you just want to talk, I am here for you guys on either my personal Instagram, which is at Cyber, or the new podcast Instagram, which is at Brown Girl White Coat Pod. So definitely connect with me on there. And I'm having so much help with the podcast Instagram. I would just love to thank Carly Perkins, who is currently helping me with all of the graphics for the podcast gram. So, so excited about everything that's to come. And I'm just ecstatic to get into this episode because Sully has some amazing interviewing tips and he talks all about his interviews. He interviewed at all of the major Texas medical schools, which is incredible. And if you're interested and you want to get a little bit of a head start on this interviewing process and um, listen to this episode because Sully makes it sound totally not intimidating and gives some great tips on what to say and what not to say and what not to do. And we talk about everything from what to wear during your interview to how to answer some of those ethical questions that might be tricky. So again, thank you guys so much for following me along with this journey. It's been almost a year since I started this podcast and it's just meant so much to me to connect with so many people like through my dms on instagram that is the best place to reach me if you want to just say something um, or reach out and you know just connect with me so hundreds of people have dm'd me and i'm just enthralled i'm just thrilled by how this is bringing everyone together i do have a type of network page or a facebook group in the works to where all of the listeners can connect with each other. That is the next step on my little game plan, but I will keep you guys all updated through the podcast Instagram on when that is to come. So thank you guys so much again for following me along with this whole journey, for supporting me on my whole podcast journey as well. And as season one is nearing its close basically in two months, I just appreciate you guys so much. So don't be afraid to reach out. I got you regardless of what you're going through or whatever you need in your medical school journey. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with at Sully the Doc. I'll leave all of his information in the podcast notes or the episode notes. And yes, don't forget to hit the rate and review buttons if you're watching on or if you're listening on iTunes. And yeah, thanks so much, guys. Let's get into the episode. Okay, so I'm sitting here today with Sully. We're actually on Facebook Messenger. Um, So thank you so much for being on my show today. Yeah, so we're going to get to hear a lot about um, interviewing for medical school. So you're just freshly off the interview trail. So that's the reason I brought you on. You know all there is to know about med school interviewing. So I'm really happy to have you on. We're going to get into a really good episode. So I guess to start, can we hear a little bit about you? Where do you go to undergrad? 
your hopes and dreams, all of that stuff? Yeah, sure. So I actually go to UT Arlington uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth, and I'm an economics major, which is completely different from what most people do that are pre-med. Um, I'm also minoring biochemistry, and uh, I hope to one day do an MD, MBA, um, and work in healthcare policy and that kind of stuff. Um, I grew up in, I actually was born in Toronto, Canada, and then I moved to Macon, Georgia uh, when I was about five, four or five years old. Um, so I lived in Macon for about 10 years or so um, before moving to Texas. Um, my dad actually taught geology at Mercer University, and so I kind of grew up, um, you know, being a super science nerdish person. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved science. I wanted to be an astronaut when I was little. Um, then I wanted to be a marine biologist, then I wanted to be a veterinarian because I loved animals. Yeah. Um, and then I, there was sort of a period where I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of knew I wanted to go into healthcare just from um, hearing about stories about my grandpa. He's an oncologist in Pakistan, and just hearing the stories of him helping people in need, uh, that really, you know, kind of prepped my mindset of going into healthcare. Not really knowing if I wanted to go into medicine as a physician exactly, but um, yeah, I spent a long time not knowing. Um, so I kind of grew up, you know, doing these sort of things you kind of do in a small town. Uh, I read books a lot. Anytime I wanted to learn anything about whatever, I would just pick up a book and read about it. Um, yeah. I played What's your sports. Um, probably The Alchemist. Ooh, okay, good choice. Have you read it? Yeah, I read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. actually, I talked about that during one of my interviews. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I played sports, too. I played soccer, ran track, played a little bit of basketball as well. Um, and then I moved to Texas uh, when I, after freshman year of high school. And um, that was a big transition from a small town, about 100,000, um, to DFW, which is like 10 million or so. Um, so that was a big transition, but I'm really glad I made that transition. It helped me to grow a lot. Um, and then I started undergrad, um, and I can kind of go into like why I went into medicine. Um, it was similar to some people's, but also very different from what most people do. Um, so my story kind of began as a patient. So after one of my runs, I was having really bad chest pain and it was, um, the middle of the night as well as like 2 a.m. Um, so I went to the emergency department and it was super hectic, busy night in the ED, Um, and the physician, he was actually, when he came into the room, he kind of sensed that I was super anxious. My mom was super anxious. Like we never went to the emergency department before. Um, and so he kind of spent the time and talked us through every single little detail and he spent probably more than 20 minutes with us. So that was something I had never encountered before. And mind you, I still kind of had the idea of going into healthcare in the back of my mind, but that kind of sparked a new interest in, in me. And I was actually taking a elective class in macroeconomics at the time and so I thought that was super interesting that you know the guy has like 30 patients probably but he's spending so much time with us it's probably not effective for him to do that so that was kind of interesting to me um and you know one thing led to another and I kind of wanted to get more exposure to medicine so I actually after freshman year of high or freshman year of undergrad I applied to a job um, working the ED as a medical scribe um you know I, I think it was my second day of training we had a patient pass away uh, right in front of us, he had a complete aortic dissection. I had never mm-hmm. seen a patient die before, um, and it completely shocked me. But um, one thing that did shock me even more than that was the way that physician handled it. You know, he, uh, when we were at the nurse's station typing in notes and we heard uh, the wife's screams and then, you know, they ran the code blue and all that sort of stuff. But And then after the fact, um, he brought into the consulting room and, like, talked with the family the entire way through and, you know, she was angry at the physician at first, but at the end of it, they're embracing. And so that was something I had never seen before in healthcare. And so that yeah. you know, pushed me even further along, you know, as the only job ever that 
I came to work excited. I was at when I was at work, I was excited. I wasn't checking my clock every two seconds. And then when I went home, even though I worked the night shifts, uh, I was happy. You know, I contributed to part of the healthcare team, even though it was a very small way, but um, it was completely different than any other job I had in the past. And I've been working since I was like 15, 16 years old. Yeah. So this was something completely new to me. Um, and then I got into research. Uh, I Something I saw in the emergency department was that a lot of elderly people were coming in for you know, falls that, you know, have dramatic impacts, you know, they break their hips, you know, just, I remember we had one patient that, you know, she was just taking out the garbage and she had a, she tripped and fell and she got a subdural hematoma and yeah. she had to be um, transferred to another hospital. Um, so I wanted to do more in that. And so I actually joined a t research team exploring the um, biopsychosocial approach to pain management and fall risk. Um, and so it was a collaboration between clinical psychology and kinesiology. And we, um, it kind of explored what we could do to alleviate this fall risk because it's kind of a catch-22, you know. They're yeah. afraid to walk but because they're going to fall, but that just makes them more prone to falling. Um, right. And so we put them through seated exercise and that sort of stuff. And I remember there was this one patient that had Parkinson's, and she couldn't participate anymore. And I was calling for um, callbacks to sign up more participants, and she was saying, you know, I can't you know, participate anymore, but during, you know, during the time I did participate for the past couple of years, my symptoms were on an all-time low and you know the work you guys are doing is beyond describable so that really changed my perspective on on that as well you know transition from the emergency department to research you know emergency department you see them and then they're gone the people yeah. you want to see over and over again people you do see over and over again aren't typically the patients you want to keep seeing over and over yeah but in the, in, the, in research you know i got to work with people one-on-one -on -one, which you know as physicians that's what you're pretty much doing most of the time um, so I, that really changed my perspective. But I, you know, I'm, before I mentioned, I kind of want to do health policy. So you know, in research, we're helping a small group of people. We had maybe forty participants. In in health policy, you know, you're treating millions of people with the policy that you make. Yeah. And health policymakers, you know, many times they're treating just the numbers on the reports. But I think physicians, they're, you know, they're trained to treat people. So someone who is business trained and is a physician, I think I could bring a fresh perspective to the field. Yeah, no, I love your story because it seems like a story of you being a self-starter. It's, it's, mm -hmm. You wanted more clinical experience, so you reached out and you got it, and you wanted to be a scribe. You learned all the medical te like terminology, mm -hmm. and then that led you to research, and it's such a natural progression of things. So you can definitely see the passion. I'm sure that shows through when you talk about it during interviews too. So Yeah, I, and I if you're familiar story. with... Um you know Dr. Atul Gawande, his books, yeah, Better yeah. Complications, Checklist Manifesto. Manifesto. Yeah. His work is like, is basically, you know, giving me more purpose and kind of refined what I want to do exactly. His, he's a, you know, expert on health policy uh, yeah. from a public health standpoint as well. I think, and he does a lot of um, quality improvements and stuff like that. I want to be the foremost experts with the economic background as well and do similar work to what he's doing as well. Yeah. So what are you thinking in terms of getting an MBA? Are you going to do that after medical school, like during a combined? So I've thought about this a lot and I've talked to a lot of actually faculty. I remember I was at my internship at Long and I was talking to the faculty there. And I think I'll probably do it after medical school and then during medical school I actually do an MPH. Oh, okay. Look yeah, at yeah, you, so... racking up degrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have the whole alphabet soup behind my name. But uh, yeah, after medical school, probably an MBA. Okay. Either Got from it. Columbia or um, Stanford. I've been looking at those schools quite a bit. Awesome. 
So we do have a few little segments that I want to get into before we sure. get into talking about interviewing. Um, so I'm trying something new. It's a new segment, um, calling it set the record straight. I saw this on another mm-hmm. podcast called the real, real give credit where it's due. And, um, so this is where I give you a bunch of statements and you tell me if you think they're true or false in your opinion and why you think that. So just a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Um, sure. okay. So this has, you know, a little bit to do with health policy, but just things that are in the mm-hmm. news lately or social media, just giving you a bit of a clue. Um, so we have three different statements here. So the first one, true or false, legislators should ban kid-friendly vape flavors. So definitely true. Um, you know, we were so close to eradicating nicotine addiction in the U.S. If you look at the graphs, it was so close. Maybe I think it was hovering around 10% or something, even maybe less. Yeah. And then if you look at the past maybe 10 years or whenever um, flavored nicotine pods and all that stuff was introduced, there's skyrockets, you know. Right. And now in the news, it's being dominated by, you know, um, reports of, you know, uh, illness due to um, e-cigarettes and those sorts of stuff. And then there's also deaths included as well. This is just the number of people reported. Um, and this has only been recently. You know, people have been using uh, e-cigarette um, for, for many, many years, and this is just not happening, so it's kind of... Uh, yeah. off on the data but i think it's much more uh, much more of a serious issue than it is giving credit in the news for sure i agree yeah the and you, if you look at the trends it's like younger and younger nicotine addictions mm-hmm. now because mm-hmm. of you know kid-friendly flavors i guess so i think i agree with you on that one too exactly okay so the second one social media causes people to compare themselves to others especially in medical school oh absolutely mm-hmm. um you know i think Every now and then, personally, I'll take a break from social media just because, you know, it's constant. You know, the algorithm kind of works towards that, you know, comparing and, you know, the algorithm, you have to post every single day. You have to, you have to uh, boost up engagement and you have to, you know, and especially in the, uh, you know, I want to say especially in the medical community, but, um, you know, we're all, com- we have to be competitive to get into medical school. We have to yeah. be competitive just to keep up our grades and all that sort of stuff. So it definitely uh, fosters a, an environment of competitiveness. But I think um, more and more we're kind of transitioning more towards collaboration rather than competition, as Dr. Gray says on Mexico HQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. Um, That was something completely new to me because I just tried to get into Instagram more and more. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just like, you know, posting pictures of me and my friends. But I realized the impact it could have, the positive impact. So, you know, a caption, you can deliver such an impactful message through just a picture caption. So... It's right. crazy, though. If you want people to see it, you kind of have to follow the rules of the algorithm and exactly. make sure you get your message heard. So competition for sure. Um, okay. The next one, the most hard-hitting of the three. Um, universal health care is the best way to assure most Americans have health coverage. So I'll put my economist hat on for this <laughs> question. Um, I think absolutely. If you look at, so I took a course on comparative economic systems across the world, and one subject we talk about in particular was healthcare systems. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at Japan, for instance, they have universal coverage, and it's kind of unheard of for someone to be uncovered from health insurance. Um, that system, you know, works very, very well. They have very low costs, and if, you, as you know, probably that U.S. GDP on healthcare is about seventeen percent of total expenditure on, yeah. which is far beyond other countries are hovering about. 8%, 9%. Yeah, it's super low. And we spend about nine, $10,000 per year per person on healthcare. Um, Japan's doing an excellent job. They have they have a standardized price book as well. So all prices are standardized. There's um, 
is, as you know, in the U.S., one um, medication can cost one price, one someplace, another price, another place. Service can cost uh, one price for one place, another for another. In Japan, everything's standardized. Um, Taiwan, or actually I'll switch to Germany before I switch to Taiwan. Germany has an interesting um, thing as well. They have universal coverage, and although they pay higher taxes, um, everyone's covered. And actually what they do is interesting is that um, instead of employer-based insurance where you're covered when you're insured when you're employed they have extra insurance when you're unemployed just because they understand that people are more likely to have be sick when they're unemployed just because it's more stressful time in their life so they have a lot of proactive measures london has a very interesting way um, that they compensate doctors for pro uh, preventative medicine so if their patients have less and uh, less you know their diabetic patients have less symptoms and less problems they're compensated more rather than the U.S. where preventative medicine is very rare, actually. Yeah. Um, and then Taiwan, as I mentioned, they combine pretty much all the good things from every country and then they incorporate into their own healthcare system. So they're actually leading the world on healthcare. Yeah. Um, Dr. Tol Gawande, as I mentioned, he's now CEO of the new healthcare uh, organization, I think it's called Haven, mm-hmm. uh, with JPS, yeah, Amazon, and Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Um, and so the U.S., you know, he talks about, you know, universal coverage. And with universal coverage, if you have everyone covered, it's more standardization and it's, you know, there's less, you know, there's and talks it's about saving. private. It's definitely cost saving because uh, I, I like to call this, uh, you know, arms race of prices. So uh, during one of my interviews, actually, a uh, family medicine physician actually showed me her income statements and she charged 132000 for her practice and was only compensated 30000 And so we talked about that. And so physicians have to charge more, insurance companies reimburse less, and so there's this arms race of prices, and then people that are uninsured bear the cost of this this arms race. Um, so yeah, if we have universal coverage, it would definitely help yeah. mitigate this problem. Yeah. What do you What do you see? Do you see this being a really important issue in the next election? Where do you see this Absolutely. going? Yeah, yeah, it's. You know, I know Joe Biden's talking about it a lot because he has a personal uh, mm-hmm. attachment to it. Um, Bernie Sanders talks about this a lot. A lot of the Democrats talk about this a lot. Um, it's definitely an increasing problem just because healthcare expenditure keeps on rising, and mm-hmm. um, there's really no proactive. I mean, Obama tried to do the ACA, and the main goal of that was actually to increase coverage. I think he only mm-hmm. increased it by 17 or I don't. I don't know the percentage exactly, but um, it didn't. You know, get everyone included. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, completely agree with that. I think that's going to be. Um, like if anyone becomes a single issue voter in the next election, I think healthcare is going to be the most important Absolutely. one. Um, that and climate change. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so that is the end of set the record straight. But I go into another segment where I talk about my favorite thing of the week. So this mm-hmm. can be anything from something you've been doing lately to a product you have to recommend, or really anything that you know you've been doing that people really need to hear about. So do you have something to mention? Mm-hmm. There's two things. So I mentioned I had a photo shoot earlier. Uh, yes. I have two, and I. I just bought a new lens. It broke my bank account, but totally worth it. Um, I'm learning a lot of new stuff for, from photography. You know, it kind of started out as a hobby, and now it's become such a great uh, creative outlet. And yeah. um, so I just bought the Nikon D750 with a 35 millimeter lens. Anyone who does photography knows what kind of upgrade this is. Full frame sensor, so it's great. Um, another thing is that this book um, by Richard Thaler, uh, Misbehaving, um, he just won a Nobel Prize in Behavioral Economics, and I just oh, picked yeah. up his book. I'm super excited to read it because, you know, behavioral economics is what I'm interested in mostly, um, so really excited about this book. Oh, awesome. Yeah. 
I love that. That is so cool. So I will also mention something totally not a book and totally not (laughs) adding to anyone's life in particular. But so I have an espresso that I talk about a lot and it's been a lifesaver when I, I just got off exam week. So it's been a lifesaver for that week. Um, but I just got pumpkin spice creamer and it's changed my life. (laughs) So I used to actually work at Starbucks. Oh really? I think it tastes just like the latte. (laughs) So that's my thing for the week. I've I've was very happy with that purchase. <laughs> um, so with that, that's the end of our segment. So we're going to get into talking more about medical school interviewing. Sure. Um, so can you kind of tell us about your interview trail? I know you interviewed at quite a few schools. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I interviewed at pretty much all the med schools in Texas. Yeah. Um, it was I, you know, I was expecting it to be very hardcore very like you know every interview I get grilled but it wasn't like that at all it was very collaborative it was very friendly um every single interview day I went to was very enjoyable all the medical students it's basically the same thing it differs a little bit from school to school um you know the the medical student panels the you know get to talk with the socials um there's the lunches are always great um yeah I think McGovern's in particular was the best um (laughs) so it's a very very fun day and um Everyone was super friendly. Uh, all my ans- all my questions about medical school were answered, and I got a very good idea of what every medical school's vibe is. And mm-hmm. people that have been on interview days will understand what I'm saying when I mean vibe. So every school has a particular culture, and you kind of understand, get a feel of that every interview day. Yeah. For sure. Can I ask, yeah. what did you feel about the culture at BCM? You can be totally honest. Very friendly. Very friendly. Okay. Everyone was super nice. Um, I felt that every medical student had a rich background. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they had came, all came from different backgrounds. And I know uh, a few people that go to BCM and they're outstanding people. Awesome. Yeah, for I'm sure. glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Yay. Every, yeah, it kind of, there's a rumor that it's cutthroat, but I don't think it's cutthroat at all. I think that I rumor spent my summer. Every... I spent a summer at, at BCM, um, I think last year. Yeah, last year. Okay, cool. I loved it. Oh, what were you doing at BCM? It was a summer health professions internship. And so oh, we were learning okay. anatomy learning um i had a preceptorship with dr larry lipschultz um it was awesome. it was amazing yeah 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 so you mentioned i guess like finding out what the vibe of the school is and mm-hmm. i think a lot of people don't realize that you know it is a two-way street they're asking you questions but you also oh, have to yeah. ask the right questions yourself so what are some of the things that maybe you were trying to find out during your interview days about the school itself yeah I, good I, questions to ask i definitely agree because it's much more of uh, where you'll be the best fit rather than what school just based on rank or how much research money they get. It's definitely about how you fit. And so questions I would ask is, um, for instance, outside of you know structured mentorship, what opportunities are available for mentorship? Uh, whether it's student groups, colleges like Southwestern does, uh, what opportunities are available for any type of mentorship? Um, some schools have a large class size. Some have a very small class size. So I would ask um, in their personal experiences, what were the pros and cons of a large class size, whether mm-hmm. it's constructive or destructive or nothing at all, neutral, mm-hmm. feeling towards it. Um, I asked about what clinical opportunities were available, whether or not um, they had hospitals where it was a teaching hospital, but no residents were there. So like I know Texas Tech has um, a branch in Odessa where there aren't any residents, so the student medical students are basically treated like interns, so they get mm-hmm. a lot more surgical experience. So Odessa has become like the surgical haven for anyone going into surgery. Um, they get a lot of experience. I think a is also similar in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked about, um, uh, you know, there's tracks as well and dual degrees. I'm interested yeah. in obviously getting an MBA or an MPH. 
Um, so I asked a lot about that and I asked how flexible the schedules are. Some schools mm-hmm. do five-year MBA programs. Most schools do four-year MPH programs. Um, right. Some offer JD, some offer uh, PhD, or I think most of them offer PhD. Um, so I asked a lot about that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely think that's very important to to get a good feel of if you'd be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about the interviews themselves. So what sure. was, did you have any like more weird interviews or things that you wouldn't expect happen during interviews? So most of them, I think almost all of them were very conversational. Um, two things really stand out. I think it was the El Paso interview. It was it was towards the interview. Interview. She asked if I had a million dollars, what would the three things I would spend it on? Yeah. And so I, I had to come up with an answer on the spot. And I was okay. And I don't think I waited that much, but that was a weird question for me, at least. Yeah. Uh, another question was, um, it wasn't really a question. It was like, teach me something in three minutes. And oh. so I didn't know what to teach. I just started teaching um, about how to measure the value of a publicly traded company. And, okay. And then I showed them how to measure candlesticks on a graph for a, a stock, and they loved it. So that was good. My friend also got asked the same question. He just taught them something from OCHEM. Um, so that's <laughs> also, you can teach them anything. Um, another one, I think it was UTMB. Yeah. Yeah, I was asked, um, I said, she said, you have two minutes per question, and you have seven total questions you, need, you have to answer within that time frame. And so I asked, and then so I... Uh, I answered them, and then it was like it was very unconversational. And mm. maybe towards halfway towards the end of the interview, I kind of broke through, and we started talking about why she did a PhD in theoretical physics and all that kind of stuff. So it was actually ended up being very conversational. But yeah, you just have to get through the first maybe half sometimes. Yeah, right. So I guess like, what are they trying to figure out with these questions? Like, what is the right way to answer? What do you think they're looking yeah. for? So I think it's very particular. Um, to the school culture like as i mentioned you know some schools are very relaxed and i know utmb long they want very relaxed students but you know also very you know comp- um, studious students as well um so your answer should be based on the school culture i think mm-hmm. uh, that's why i kind of found out um sometimes they're just trying to see how you react under pressure so you couldn't you can be grilled and i have been grilled a yeah. couple of schools um but usually halfway through the interview you'll usually break through and kind of make it more conversational um so they just want to see how you react under pressure other times they just want to see who you are as a person so um i know i think it was mcgovern they didn't ask a single question about academics and i didn't try to force any questions either just because they don't want they just want to see how you are as a person so i know we talked about my childhood where i grew up they actually had family in macon georgia as well so we kind of connected over that so i just want to see how you are as a person so never force a question Unless you, unless they ask, you know, what questions you have and kind of segue it. You should slide it in very nonchalant, in a nonchalant manner rather than just being like, oh, yeah, I want to talk about my research, too. Shouldn't do that. Right, right. Completely. So mm-hmm. I guess, like, what is the best way to prepare for these? Did you do anything to, I mm-hmm. don't know, to, to get ready for your interviews? Yeah, so I did several things. I would always read uh, or reread my application primary application and mm-hmm. in cases where there were secondaries i'd read the secondaries too so if i had my interview on friday i would start on wednesday and just reread my application a couple times wednesday a couple times on thursday and then um, maybe read it once over friday morning before i drove mm-hmm. to the school um that's pretty much what i did um that helped me the most so i would um also recommend dr gray's um book on the um, guide to the medical school interviews there's a lot of great examples yes. in there also he talks about what not to do i think that's 
very valuable. Yeah. Because most times we know what to do, but we don't really know what not to do during an interview. Um, I haven't I also, actually read that book, but can you mention yeah, yeah. some things that you shouldn't do? I feel like, or yeah, yeah, if sure. you've read anything. Yeah. It's been a while since I read it, but um, he talks about how you shouldn't memorize answers. I mean, that's oh. kind of... Kind of common bit. sense, but yeah. I mean, sometimes we do have the um, urge to kind of just memorize and answer questions that are asked quite often, like tell me about yourself, why medicine, pros and or strengths and weaknesses, um, those kinds of questions, or your view on um, controversial topics like abortion, mm-hmm. universal health care, that sort of stuff, gun violence. So don't answer questions, just have talking points. I think that was a big takeaway from his book. Um, and he actually shows a couple examples, I think, towards the back of the book where uh, he'll interview one person one time, give them some feedback, interview them a second time, give them some feedback, and then third time, and you see how they, their answer changes over time, and it's much more um, human rather than just robotic answer, you know? Yeah, agreed. Um, some other things I did were um, I used my peers as well. So we would do mock interviews with some uh, some friends of mine, um, and we would try to pick the hardest questions. It wasn't so much we would try to practice for questions, but just to practice how to think on our feet. And so I think that helped quite a bit. And I only did it before my first interview. After that, I didn't really need as much prep. It was mostly just to calm my nerves. And Mm -hmm. I found that my mock interviews with my friends were 10 times harder than my interviews at any medical school. Just because all the medical schools, at least in Texas, they're super conversational. They don't want to grill you. Um, They're not cutthroat at all. Yeah. Yeah. Did you experience any MMI interviews? or? I did, yeah. TCOM. So I, okay. I interviewed at TCOM, I think it was like second to last interview, and they did an MMI, and it was first time I did an MMI. Um, the way I prepped was simply having a, kind of like a formula. It was a four-step, mm-hmm. four-way to answer. I think I found it online. Um, I I think it was BMO, or however you pronounce it. I think that was the if website we, I found If we on. find the link, I can put it in the, yeah, in the course, show notes. Yeah, yeah. So. And so I used that, and it was basically analyze the question, do uh, understand the different points of view, you know, um, what are the consequences of going with each point of view? And then finally also answering the question, because sometimes we may analyze the whole situation, but we never actually get around to answering the question. So I used that kind of technique and that was very summarized uh, version of that. Um, and I use that for all the questions. I think I had five MMIs. Yeah. Okay. So it Can was, you explain was, what the MMI is? Because I think a lot of people sure, might sure. not exactly know. So I... Th- I believe ours were uh, about five minutes each, uh, and I had five people um, for the MMI. It's a multi-minute interview. Um, so the first one, for instance, was a quote from Shakespeare, and I had to under- kind of talk about what are the qualities of a physician um, or what skills of a physician do I want to hone in and you know cultivate throughout my years of going through pre-med and under uh, medical school and residency. And it related to the Shakespeare quote. I don't remember what it was. Um, the second one was uh, an ethical question, and they're typically ethical questions. So we talked about, you know, you see a fellow classmate cheating, what do you do? Um, and then another question was, um, you know, what is a difficult time you've been through? Um, those sorts of questions. And it was right. very relaxed. There was one that wasn't very as relaxed. Some of them, are, I think it was about half of them tried to grill you a little bit at the beginning, just to see how you react to pressure. Um, I remember one of them, I was talking about my experience in the emergency department. I mentioned a physician by name that I really, really look up to. And he actually knew the physician because it was TCOM and I worked in Fort Worth as well. Yeah. Um, so that was, we connected over that as well. So it's it's not a lot of pressure. It's very quick. Um, I actually enjoyed the MMI experience quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. 
So is this, um, I actually had a few MMI interviews, but this was a really long time ago. Um, mm. So they post something like on the door and you get like a few minutes to read it yeah. and then you go in and like try yeah, to argue your point. Um, is that how it kind of works still? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you'll have a minute, I believe, to read the prompt and it'll be on the door. So everyone lifts up the sheet to look at their prompt at the same time. Uh, and then you'll have a minute to read it. You can walk in it. Um, you can't walk in until they say so. I was usually done reading it and had my answer pretty much 20 seconds in, but you still have to stand there. Um, you'll knock at the door, say hello, greet. You, you're allowed to greet them. A lot of people do just sit down and start answering. Yeah. But you can, you can. I remember I answered, asked uh, the interview, whereas, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? How's your day? All that kind of stuff. And it was mm-hmm. broke the ice much more than just sitting down and answering the question. Um, and then you'd hear a beep uh, once the time was up, and you would walk out, move to the next pretty much door. And repeat the same process. Um, some schools have maybe five interviewers. Some school I've heard that have ten. So it really just mm-hmm. depends. And you should know what interview style your medical school has that you're interviewing at before you go to the interview day. It shouldn't be a surprise. And you can right. always look it up online. It's it's posted on their website. Yeah. So in terms of the um, ethical questions you were talking about, I think that's pretty standard across the board for mm-hmm. most interviews. Um, how do you prepare for that? Do you kind of have like an opinion going into it that you try to select and then stick to it? Because I know for those, they try to, there's no right answer. So they try to grow right, you yeah. to the opposite side to try to get you to change your opinion. So like how, what was your approach to that? So I th- it's very much like you said, they're trying to grow you to see how you'll, how much you'll stick with um, your answer. And mm-hmm. I also want to emphasize there is no right answer, really, unless you go completely off the board. Um, right. But just have an answer, be prepared to defend it, but also give some leeway to just to show that you're not just a stubborn person that only sticks with their answer. Show that you can you can demonstrate an ability to think outside the box and understand other people's points of view. Um, so it's very much like that. Right. So what would you say, I know you might not know for sure, but would you say it's okay to accept the other side is that like a good approach to take okay because um they may offer something i didn't um in my experience i didn't change my view um Mm -hmm. just because he didn't really grill me on it um but if it were were the case that he was like oh no this is exactly how it should be then maybe sometimes you know you should accept the other point of view and you know um, explain in your reasoning that you know these are the reasons why i'm switching my point of view because i understand this part of your answer or something like that don't just switch just to be you know because they also don't want to have an interviewee where they just oh go agree with the interviewer right away they want to have some you know reasoning don't just bend completely towards the interviewer's answer yeah totally so i guess the point of an interview is to you know make yourself known to the school you want to stand out during an interview and add something to your application Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you do to maybe stand out or what do you think set you apart from the other candidates? So I talked about what I was an expert in. So I, you know, as I mentioned, I'm an economics major. So I talked about healthcare. Um, I've taken several courses on it. I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, there's actually one book I have with me somewhere. It's called, so if you want to become an expert basically on healthcare in overnight, it's called the healthcare handbook, second edition, um, a clear and con- concise guide to the United States healthcare system. Um, it's a phenomenal book. It's basically talks about the economics of it, the human behavior, psychological aspect of it, insurance companies. Uh, I read this book maybe three times, even as an economics major, I still learned a lot from it. 
Um, so I talked about healthcare a lot and a lot of them were really surprised by my answers just because I was able to hold my own. Um, typically, you know, I don't want to say typically, not everyone, but, um, usually the answer is, you know, there are problems in the healthcare system, but I don't know. That's kind of the the overall feeling of, because it's very complicated. No one has the answer to this. If we did, we would, you know, we wouldn't be debating it on the debate stage. Um, so I talked about healthcare a lot and, understanding multiple points of view you know there's price insulation problems with insurance companies there's consumer problems as well there's there's lack of standardization there's public and private insurance markets i talked about a variety of things and um i was able to engage with the interviewer on this almost the exact same level obviously they're a physician or phd most of the times um so they have a little bit more knowledge and personal experience but i was able mm-hmm. to hold my own uh, yeah. i also talked about um my hobbies so being more personable. Don't just be a hardcore pre-med that all they do is lock themselves in the room and studies the entire time. Um, Really, and this, I think um, preparing for interviews really starts freshman year of college. It's the more experience you have with life and the leadership and research, the easier your interview is going to be just because you're not having to make up stories along the way like and over-dramatize all these things that you did. Um, So yeah, it really starts freshman year. Um, yeah. But like I said, I talk about my hobbies. I talk about photography a lot. I talk about how it's a creative outlet. Um, I love meeting new people. So that's one avenue I take. You know, I've met so many great people through photography, made so many friends. Um, I also talk about trading stocks. A lot of people don't know what, you know, how to trade a stock. I talk about that a lot. I talk about how, I'm, you know, Warren Buffett, for example, he's like my role model. Um, yeah. A lot of those sorts of things. I talk about reading books. I At my Southwestern interview, we spent like a good 15, min, 20 minutes talking about books. I mentioned Better by Dr. Tulgawande, how he opens the book with the history of handwashing. And I think it's Semmelweis or whatever the physician is that first introduced it, uh, handwashing and how he was rejected by the community just because of the way he, he did that. And the physician uh, interviewing me was actually an immunologist. And so he actually ta- teaches that in his class, the history of handwashing. So he was really surprised that I knew anything about hand washing um he said most of his medical students don't know any anyone anything about hand washing either or the history of it and so we connected over that and i recommended him a couple books he recommended me some books as well um so we connected over that as well so making yeah talking about my hobbies really made me more personable rather than just being a pre-med that all i do is study so yeah talk about something like that it really i think it helps you stand out Right. I had a friend who she was so passionate about coffee. And so she was like a barista for she took a year off to be a barista, basically. And um, so she learned everything there was to know about coffee. And like she could do the latte art and like everything. And so she had that just as a small little point on her resume. And that was the thing that she was most asked about during interviews because it was something she spoke about so passionately and it was something different from the other people applying. So Absolutely. Yeah. For me, that was healthcare policy. I pretty much devoted my undergrad to understanding um, health economics and health, uh, um, behavioral economics and health. And so that's pretty much what we talked about. Yeah. So yeah, find, basically find one, have a couple of things you're really passionate about and let it be known during the interview and it will go well. For sure. Yeah, agreed. Um, so let's quickly address this because people are always a little bit concerned about what to wear to interviews. Uh-huh. So what is what have you seen on the interview trail? Have you seen anything that was like, ooh, like you should not have worn that? <laughs> pocket squares. If you're a guy, oh. do not wear a pocket square. It okay. looks, sometimes it looks ridiculous. 
there are some cases where you know it's folded neatly it's barely visible it's just kind of like a white line over the the pocket but i've seen some people in the interview <laughs> trail have like polka dotted handkerchiefs sticking out it just <laughs> doesn't look professional so if you're if you're trying to like um you know be have fun with your suit have fun with the tie and the socks don't do the pocket square just Got it. yeah don't <laughs> got it yeah for, for sure. women i guess um just being appropriate that's it I, mm-hmm. I saw a few things of um like skirts being too short and stuff like mm-hmm. that but you know as long as you're appropriate with it i think there's not really yeah, and any rules I, I can't speak too much about what girls wear but for guys for instance um navy suits are always great if you go a little yeah. bit lighter it makes you stick out a little bit and it looks pretty good um okay. i wouldn't recommend a black suit it looks like you're going to a funeral sometimes so you yeah. know have a, have a nice tie that kind of sticks out, but not too much. Uh, it should be still be appropriate. I found a combination of navy blue and burgundy tie. It looks really great. Um, oh, cool. Yellow as well. Um, same with the socks. You can have fun with the socks, but don't be inappropriate. Right. And if you're yeah. looking for cheap but good-looking shoes, um, I found a really good pair of Oxfords from Zara. And they oh. were under 100 bucks. And I kept people kept asking me, like, where'd you get those shoes? So, oh, sweet. Sure. I never knew that there, there so much went into like menswear for interviews as well. So oh, I can. Yeah, cool. I can. <laughs> okay. So last question about interviews. Um, you know, you're nearing the end of your interview and mm-hmm. they say, what questions do you have for me? So what are, what is the right answer to that? Or what did, what did you say? So I think it's really important that, um, uh, you know, you look up the interviewer before you go into the interview. Mm-hmm. So I would do this for every interview. They give you a sheet of who's interviewing you. Um, and so I would look up, look them up, you know, what research they did, what, um, what they did, uh, their work in, whether they're a professor or a researcher or a clinician or all three. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't, uh, when they ask you questions, don't try to, you know, impress them with how much you know about them. Don't try to, um, you know, ask questions like, oh, I saw that you did research in this. Tell me more about this. It's very obvious that you're trying to impress them. Um, Instead, ask them about, like, um, you know, what advice do they have someone researching in a particular field? Or say, hey, I did research in this as well. Have a personal connection to your question. Don't just ask the question for the sake of asking the question. Um, So I remember asking the anatomy professor because I I loved anatomy um, when I did my internship, the human anatomy part of it. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. And he was the anatomy professor from McGovern. And so we talked about anatomy for about 20 minutes. And our interviewer interview went above 20 minutes. We spent, instead of just spending 20 minutes, we spent 40 minutes during the interview just because we found something in common that we both liked. So just have something in common, I think, and have a personal connection. And don't try to make it too obvious that you're trying to impress them. Because obviously yeah. you are trying to impress them, but don't make it obvious for right. sure. And, and I think don't that ask questions. You should yeah. say something, right? Yes, for sure. You should yeah. definitely have a question. I remember a friend telling me that he didn't ask a question just because he answered pretty much all his questions were already answered. And the uh, interviewer was like, oh, you don't have any questions? Okay. And Got it. He, yeah, so definitely have a question. Um, even just try to have a personal Don't make it a silly question that you can find on the website. Never ask a question that you can find online. I know it, for me it's a pet peeve when uh, people in my organization ask me questions like that. So... Try to do the same, have the same courtesy because you're, you know, you're using their time. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so as we're wrapping up here, do you have any other advice or words of wisdom that you want to share with the pre-med audience? That's, you know, they're trying to get to where you are now. So Absolutely. So I think, like I mentioned before, interviews, preparation starts 
day one when undergrad starts. Believe it or not, I was a super shy kid growing up. I barely did any public speaking. I, I hated it. I barely ventured outside my comfort zones, outside for like sports and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't until freshman year that I started getting more leadership experience. I think leadership is probably the best way to grow during undergrad. Yeah. Um, just run for an entry-level position, whether it's secretary, treasurer, what, what have you. You don't have to be president day one. Um, in many cases, you can't be. But mm-hmm. um, find one organization, and then whether it's related to medicine or not, um, it'll definitely help you gain some confidence that will you know, transcend beyond just the organization. It'll go into interviews, medical school, and life in general. Um, find one organization that will open a door to another one. At the end of undergrad, I was in six organizations or something. Um, emphasize a couple of things during your um, application. So they're going to be picking a couple of things, and it's on the TMDSAS if you're in Texas or mm-hmm. um, the other application. Um, so they'll ask about leadership. They'll ask about research. They'll ask about volunteering, whether it's medical or non-medical. Have answers to these things and have a lot of experience. And if you have a lot of experience, the interview will go so smoothly. You won't have to put on a show that, you're, oh, you did so many things in your undergrad. If you actually did a lot of things in your undergrad, it'll make it, it'll be true. So uh, it'll yeah. make it a lot more easy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Love that advice. So congratulations, by the way, you were, you were actually accepted into medical school. So congratulations yes, yeah. on Thank that. You. One other piece of advice, um, stay up to date with news that just popped in my head. Um, download an app on your phone where you get news and actually read the articles. Uh, there's so many times where interviewers asked me, you know, what's one current topic that you're interested in or recently talked to, heard about? And I love keeping up with politics and news. And so I talked about those sorts of things and they were impressed with my answers just because I had both breadth and depth uh, in my answer. Um, so keep up with news. It doesn't have to be medical or pol- political. It could be even something uh, as sports or something. Just mm-hmm. have something that you love to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, definitely love that advice. Yeah, just have like your little notifications turned on on your phone for mm-hmm. like news sources and, you know, try to try to stay up to date with that. I like that advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so when do you actually commit to med school? When does that happen? Um, later this year. So okay. probably October-ish, November-ish. Okay. So, well, yeah. good luck on that whole journey. Very excited for everything that you're going to be doing, especially with the health policy stuff. Very excited about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I'm excited, yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Absolutely, it was a pleasure. We heard some amazing things about interviewing and just your advice to medical students. I think that that's super helpful. Yeah, I hope it helps. It's it's really not as... People have this big you know idea of that medical school interviews are super tough just because the process of undergrad is so tough. But interviews is just the, yeah. the last you know last 100 meters in the race. And right. after that, you're, you're good. Yeah. Completely. All right. Well, thanks for joining me. um, And I hope you guys have a great day wherever you are.